Hello, everybody. This is Christian Capel alongside Danny O'Neill bringing you episode three of a UW football podcast that will have uh, its second name in as many episodes. We will uh, address that at the end of uh, at the end of our time here. We 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 adapt to changing circumstances the way that uh, UW's coaching staff adapts to playing Sean McGrew, except a little bit faster than that. Um, last week we we ended. Uh, with Danny predicting Washington would beat Arizona twenty to fourteen, which was shockingly close. Danny twenty one to sixteen was the final, so you you were really close both in total and in in margin of victory. Um, I will say I followed up that prediction with my own prediction that if the Huskies beat this Arizona team twenty to fourteen it would only upset people more. And I got the sense that you didn't really believe me. And I'm, I'm wondering if you believe me now. I, I am, but I'm puzzled. Why is everybody mad? This team showed gritty resolve. Like, weren't people pumped up? Like, Dylan Morris comes back. They pick themselves up off the canvas. They're down 13-0 at halftime. And they show the heart of champions coming out in the second half. They win on the road. A team that had won two games before, and everybody's like, oh, it's so awful. This is embarrassing. This is worse than any loss we've suffered this year outside of Montana. I was like, come on. What, did you guys have delusions of grandeur? Have you not been watching this team? Like, You should be excited for this result. You sound like Jimmy Lake. You're, <laughs> you, you, are, you are repeating the Jimmy Lake talking points right now. Ah, man. I don't know what's going on. Like legitimately watching that first half was puzzling um, because even though I predicted that score, watching how it got there is is pretty brutal. Um, and it's tough. It's really tough to explain how they appeared that lifeless in the first half, how, how they looked that bad and what that means for what's still coming down the pike here with the game at Stanford and then at home against Oregon sports journalists can fall, you know, um, victim to, to being prisoners of the moment. I know. Um, so it's a lot of times it's, it's not true when we say this was the worst since ever, or the best since ever, or the worst half, the best half. I don't know that they've played a worse half against a conference opponent, at least in my lifetime, at least that I remember just considering that, it's literally been more than two calendar years since Arizona has won a football game. They scored zero points in a loss to what probably is the second worst team in the Pac-12, Colorado, the week before. They were starting a third-string quarterback who clearly the coaches did not want throwing the ball. There were rumors coming out of that, you're going into yeah. that game that Jamarie Joyner, one of their best players, a receiver who runs a wildcat package, might see like extensive time just running the wildcat. They actually might have been better off just running wildcat 100% of the time with Jamarie Joyner back there because Washington did not fare very well against it when they did run it. But um, down 13 to nothing, to, or, or 10 to nothing, or no, it was 13 to nothing at halftime to that team. Um, having 68 yards in the first half, just looking brutal. completely incompetent. Uh, I, a lot of, I think even maybe some people who were not out on Jimmy Lake yet at, at halftime of that game, if you just captured their, their feelings and their emotions in the moment, um, they would have been saying that, you know, no matter what happened in the second half, that the, the, the die had kind of been cast, but you do, I think you do give him some credit for 
for rallying. Um, boy, yeah, it sure yeah, seems you, it sure seems act- self-inflicted on Arizona's part, though. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about that. Arizona couldn't finish that game, and and that yeah, Washington deserves its credit for coming. But look, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't exactly run rough shot over them in the second half, and they, it took a, a illegal substitution, an illegal substitution penalty to keep them from having to sustain a drive on fourth down. That was. It, it, it was poor. How about how about this for for an explanation? This is this is because I was trying to think of the the most coach like or uh, enabler en- enabling type of explanation. <laughs> Arizona was coming off such a low point. You knew they were going to come out with more heart and effort. They were at home. They'd been embarrassed by the previous week's result, losing thirty four zero to Colorado. And they look at now they're at the point where they look at Washington. They're going to give their best effort against a Washington team. Because they know that's their best chance to get a win. So so Washington had to play a really motivated Arizona team. Like they were facing a really I know they're winless and they haven't won it, but that that was a that was a motivated Arizona team they were playing. That's probably the closest you can come to spinning it. <laughs> I think that's that's a that's a pretty good job. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I would start I, I don't, you could also point out, I guess, they've been better defensively than offensively this season. Their defense has played like well enough to kind of have them within shouting distance and maybe they'd have like a win on though you're right but you're right but they've had the ball shoved down their throat like yes. I, I i i i tend to they, they have been they've been better on defense than they have been I'm, I'm talking about arizona just to be clear i thought because oh, okay. we're oh, my, we're my, my we're, we're still I, I thought i thought we were i i was not gonna i was not gonna let you praise Washington. we're still in I, the that's basically what was happening we're still in the excuse making um uh, okay, co- we're coach speak spin portion of it. Yes, <laughs> if you're trying to give Arizona any credit at all, that's where that's that's where you go to. But I I, I digress. I suppose um, I, you're right. You're right. They they have been they their their defense has been better. It's the offense that's been really terrible, which is really what you want to have when you have your head coach coming from the offensive side of the ball. You're like actually the side of the ball that he's not best well versed in is the side they're better at like I, I i generally think that should be at least in jimmy lake's defense like he's a defensive coach and the def- defense has been better like chris peterson's first year chris peterson i was like well the defense is the best thing about this team and the guy's an offensive coach now that turned out to be a little bit short-sighted on my part but um yeah yeah that, that's generally not a good sign when you're your 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 awful team is better on defense when you have an offensive-minded head coach speaking of, of washington getting it run run down their throats how over would that game have been if instead of throwing an interception to a defensive tackle on first and 10 from washington's 28 yard line uh on a on a series in which they were driving and had only run the ball to that point how over would that game have been if if tuli latuli nasanoa does not bail them out with that interception if jed fish does not bail them out with that well, i guess he's he's not calling plays offensively uh but if, if if whoever called that screen pass does not bail washington out with that call and instead runs the ball like they'd been doing successfully all game and they cap that possession by covering the remaining 28 yards with a touchdown and it's 23 to 7 with less than a quarter left to play how over is that game at that point yeah it's it's hard to see any path back because they needed they needed every every bit of time they had and and then some even with the other favors that were done for them yeah i i think i'm torn between did tuli latuli nasanoa bail them out with a great the kind of great game-changing defensive play 
that they've been missing this year, or did Arizona bail them out by with by just getting finally getting in their own? Because this felt like a game where this, there's this winless team, they can't catch a break. They're maybe the worst team in, in all of FBS. UNLV would give them a run for their money. But uh, for, for most of that game, they didn't mess up. They didn't make the critical error. They stayed out of their own way. They were, they were doing a pretty good job of not beating themselves. And it just seemed like finally the 0-6 the came out to play. Finally, the 18-game losing streak came out to play. And this team that hadn't won in two years just could not stay out of its own way for four quarters and you give Washington credit, they hit two big passes, and, and they did what they needed to do to, to go score two touchdowns, and there was a three-and-out thrown in there. But um, it just it really felt like Washington needed this winless team to, to finally step in its own way, run itself over, and, and kind of crack the door open for them to, to get the juice needed to, to pull this one out. That's pathetic. That's the saddest <laughs> thing that's been said about the Washington football team this entire year. So that like of all of the different things, like that's that's worse than couldn't run the ball against Montana. Like couldn't 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 dominate the line of scrimmage against uh, a, a a team from a caliber of competition that Washington would not play for a hundred years. Is that you really just had to bide your time? Like Washington had to bide its time until the awful team became awful. Like it was, it was just you just got to wait him out. You just got to wait wait him out, and eventually the two year losing streak is going to play. That team is going to play like the team that had a two year losing streak. That's that's pathetic. I but see, I think that's the reality, and it 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 raises the point of did this team find bottom? Now was bottom scoring zero points in the first half against Arizona? Was it trailing going that into the, the fourth quarter the, against that was Arizona? The worst. That's the worst I've felt about a Washington team since the loss of the Apple Cup in 2008. Like, that's, that's the most hostile and angry that I've been. That, 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 was the mo- that was the low point since that. It still wasn't that Apple Cup in 2008, knowing that it meant you were going to go 0-12, but it was within shouting distance. That, that, that zero points in the first half. And then in the second half, it wasn't that, like, oh, you've totally redeemed yourself. It was like, okay. You're you're not totally loathsome, like you're not totally you're, you, you, you there 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 is the, yes I will give you credit because you guys fought your tails off to the end. Um, so did they find bottom though? Can, like, can it? Are they are they are they? Yeah, it can get worse, dude. If if Oregon comes in there because Oregon's not that good. No, I mean Oregon's. I, I've seen good Oregon teams before, and this isn't one of them. No. And if they come in here and, and win by 45, that's going to feel worse. That's going to feel worse than having watching Oregon do that because then it's like, oh, it's not even that you guys are good. We're just that bad. I, I've i gone through way more of my life than I'm comfortable talking about losing to Oregon and all of the different emotions that that entails. And it, I, I hate it. I Oregon's the one team that I truly them and the them in the Oklahoma City Thunder. But even then with with Oregon because of sort of the fact that I was born in that negligible state and all of the different things that go on. But if they if they get smoked by a bad Oregon team, that's going to feel awful. Are you are you skipping over the Stanford game because you just know how that one's going to end? Yeah, the ner- the nerds are going to shove us in a locker. I I've, I've been there for that. And, and like I mean that's I, I've experienced, I'm prepared for that sort of pain. There's nothing that can prepare you for the pain of being smoked by Oregon. 
Like there's nothing. And and when you get smoked because you're truly pathetic and not because they're good, because as much as it pains me to admit, like they've been a really good football program for 20 years. And they've been really, for 25, they've been a really good football program. Like that's, and so losing to them as Washington, while I think it reflects sort of a change in some of the difficulties the, the Washington program has had, like the idea that that Oregon wallops you isn't 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 as shameful as it as it should be, but this isn't a good Oregon team, and and I'm really worried about that. You go lose on the farm. I mean, there's going to be 12 people there because nobody at that school even cares about football, which is is kind of pathetic in its own its own right. But like the Oregon thing is like ah yeah. Yeah, so to answer your question, the search for bottom, yeah, I, I think we still might be looking. Uh, I'm not convinced it won't get worse. So Dylan Morris takes a hard hit to the face on the yes. first series. He's, they can't get his nose to stop bleeding, so he, he can't stay in the game. He goes into the tent. Sam Heward grabs his helmet, uh, trades his headset for his helmet, starts warming up. It's obvious he's going to come in. Which, by the way, like confirmed, I think that he is the backup quarterback. Like that, that yeah. had been my assumption, and I think a lot of people's assumption based on, you know, if you if you if you're used to watching these guys in pregame, um, the uh, the centers come out with the quarterbacks very early in warmups, and the starting quarterback takes snaps from the starting center and the number two from the number two center, and so on and so forth. And that's always been Sam Heward taking snaps from the backup center, uh, Corey Luciano. So even though they list them on the depth chart. It's Sam Heward or Patrick O'Brien behind Dylan Morris. I think we know now it's, you know, Sam Heward is the number two, regardless of, of red shirt priorities and all that. Um, he plays one series. He was out there for uh, six official snaps, eight, eight snaps if you count a false start penalty and an offside penalty. Um, one official pass attempt, it was, a, a, I believe, a fade to Jalen McMillan up the right sideline on third and six that was incomplete. I think the Arizona... It's a pretty ball. It, yeah, it was. It was. Pretty, although, although anything that came out of his hand, I was probably going to feel was beautiful. But. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought, you know, it, it, there was a lot of uncertainty there. Is Dylan Morris, is he seriously injured? Is this just a, a quick, they need to get him patched up? It, once he emerged from the injury. Just shove like two full rolls of toilet paper up his schnoz. Yeah. Just, just pack it in there. It, once he emerged from the injury tent, it was obvious, okay, he's coming back in the game. And so, and, and Sam Heward didn't play again. And so there, there were some kind of rumors and rumblings during the week that maybe this was the week they get Sam Heward a little bit of playing time. Um, maybe they have some, some situations scripted for him as far as when it's going to be. And, and, you know, maybe you see a little bit more of him. It sure seemed once Dylan Morris came back in the game and finished the game that that was not the plan because he only played when Morris couldn't play and they clearly didn't want him to throw the ball. So I was shocked to hear after the game Jimmy Lake say it was the plan for Sam Heward to play all along. They only wanted him, they had only planned for him to play one series. Um, Obviously, they didn't want it to be the second series of the game, but once they needed him to play the second series of the game, they apparently decided that that was enough and he had... You know, he basically he had satisfied their pregame wish for him to play by handing the ball off to Sean McGrew a bunch of times and throwing a third and six incompletion toward Jalen McMillan. Um, what did you think of that? Because I that I found that very puzzling. So I had I had heard before before kickoff 
that he was probably going to get a series. So I don't I don't think the timing was what they what they had planned for. I think I think it was it was not going to be the second series of the game that he went in. No. I was really puzzled to hear the explanation afterward. And there's two things that I want. So this means he's not redshirting, right? Like that's that's pretty clear. No, I think he is. That, I think he is. I really I I think so Jimmy Lake wants you wants everybody to to wonder about. He wants it to be a mystery. Are they are they only going to play him in two more games? Could they play him in every game? What's the deal? I think he gave it away when he said that okay, he's played in two games now, which means he's got two more left if he's going to redshirt or 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 he might play more than that because of health. He said he might play. He might have to play more than that because of health. I think that kind of gave it away that like the plan is for him to play in four games. I think they're going to try to max out his four games, um, but I I do think in Jimmy Lake's mind, Sam Heward is redshirting unless something happens to Dylan Morris. Um, now look, it there's five games left. Uh, that something happening could be that the performance of the offense is so poor and so inefficient that. You just have to do something at quarterback. I think a lot of people would say that point. It's already come. Obviously, Jimmy Lake doesn't agree with that, but I, I actually still think he's on track to redshirt. Okay, that's just my is my educated guess. It's, it's it's an important and it, these are these are sort of because you brought up last week when we were talking about this the question of what the family wants, what the what the player slash family wants, and I do think that 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 should determine it. It's weird though, if. He is the in case of emergency break glass and he'll play and burn his red shirt. That would lead me to think that maybe this isn't something that's predicated on the player's wishes. And it's not, and the, the, that doesn't mean that he's against red shirting or doesn't want to consider it, but that it's not, it's if he wasn't going, if, if, if they had decided, if the family had decided they didn't want him to play this you you wouldn't even play a couple games and you certainly wouldn't be the emergency injury quarterback right right you would you wouldn't think so it and that's that's the part of if this decision is being made about red shirting him because they want an extra year of development and don't think he's ready i've got a i've got a very i don't know what the hell they're looking at that's what what are you waiting for like, what do you believe? That like you believe that you're going to get another four years with Sam Heward? Like, you believe you believe that he's he he is going to be someone who stays the next four years? Because I don't think that that's necessarily the case. And not playing him comes with costs of its own in terms of how the rest of the offense develops. That you could be getting growth right now out of him, so he is more prepared when he starts playing, presumably next year. And you've got the worst quarterback in the Pac-10, right? Pac-12, right now, right? Is there, is there? I mean, Arizona, but other than that, is is there is there a better? Is he is Dylan Morris better than another starting quarterback in the league right now? Just looking at Colorado's and offensive I, I, numbers, I, I don't know that I don't know that you would trade with Colorado, okay. but they That's do. Fair. But they they have a you know that, that, a young that, player learning. You know, I, and Dylan Morris is still young too. I don't want to discount that. It's his third year in the program, so it's a little deceptive. But like, he's played 11 college football games. Dude, if he's... Okay. I like Dylan Morris, and I think he... he I, I, I don't think this offense is his fault, 
but we've seen a fair amount of time from him on the field right now. And if he's your starting quarterback next year, I have real serious. I, I that that would cause me to believe that everything is in much worse shape than even I think it is. If if th- if that's the hey, we'll see how it goes, and we believe we're on the right track here with Dylan Morris, that we think he's going to get time. If that's the thought process that's going on there, like that makes me think that everybody over there is blind. That th- that makes me think that everyone. Eh, I don't know if I I can take anything they say at face value or as being reflective of reality. And that's it's not about the kid or the player. It's about the caliber of performance that you're getting from guys. We talked a little bit about this last week with some of the, the talk about middle linebacker play and oh this guy's not better. Well, you know what, man? If if that's if that's what the case is, that's on the coaches. Cuz either they didn't mm-hmm. recruit well enough or they didn't develop them well enough. And that's kind of how I feel about Dylan Morris right now of Okay, we've seen it for half a season. We've seen it for half of a full season after last year where I thought he showed signs of promise. And it's not there. It's it's not. And what's the the downside of going to a younger player is what right now? That you burn his red shirt? And if he wants that red shirt, okay, by, by all means, preserve that. But if that's not, if, if he's open to the idea of playing right now, why isn't he playing? Like, what, what exactly, that, that it's going to be worse than this? Because I'm not sure how much of a, a, a likely outcome that is. And if that's the case, we should find that out now rather than wait till next year or halfway through next year and they decide, okay, well, now we've got to make a change. It, it puzzles me, Christian, that, that this, it was like dipping your toe into this, like, oh, let's see how this is. And like, oh, let's pull it out real I'm like, come on. Like, let's see some of this. If that's the direction we're going to go, I'm all for it. Let's get him some experience. So, yeah, I, I completely agree. I think wanting to get him in the game is great. And and the fact yes. that they, the fact that, that Jimmy Lake acknowledged that they planned to, and I mean, part of it is how much, how transparent do you think he was about that plan? How, you know, is it, it's easy to say, oh yeah, we, because he only played for a series. Yeah. The plan was to play him only one series. And some people, you know, I see people on Twitter who just flat out, don't believe him and think there was, you know, there was no plan to play him. You're just saying that because you had to play him. And now you can look like, you know, appease that, the, appease the people who would criticize you for wrong. not playing it. Oh, yeah. I don't agree with that. I don't, I don't think he was, I don't think he was lying. I mean, I, I legitimately, legitimately, I don't want to be like, Oh, somebody told me, but I told you he was going to play a series before the game started. And he played a series. The problem was he didn't really play. Right. Yeah. Like he played, but played in quotes, like he handed it off twice. And then, through that beautiful ball. But that was it. And you have no points going into the second half. And then you're like, oh, man, they they pulled it out in the second half. And Dylan Morris came through. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. But, like, beating Arizona 21 to 16 is is not a real notch on the old belt. Like, you'd be better <laughs> off getting, getting experience for guys who you think are going to actually be part of a winning program here. And I think the possibility that, that people it maybe doesn't get talked about as much is that hey Sam Heward is just flat out not ready he that he perhaps the coaches believe that if if they put him out there he just could not function in the offense for whatever reason and I think if that's the case and maybe it maybe it is maybe it isn't if that's the case that's also a reflection of coaching right because everybody knows how talented he is everybody you can see you you, you know in spring and in fall even as he's going through his 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 growing pains as a young player, literally fresh out of high school, learning a, a style of offense he's never played in before. 
uh, you could see that the touch and the accuracy and like, yeah, that he doesn't have like the five star cannon arm in terms of arm strength, but he certainly has enough arm strength. And yeah, like you said, I mean, it's, it just looks different coming out of his hand. The way he spins it is it's uncommon. Um, so legit question here, Christian, if he's not ready and he'd be overwhelmed, how is that going to be different from what we're seeing right now? That's yeah, a fair, it's a fair like, question. Le- le- legitimate. We've watched this, the Montana game, that Michigan game. Like how, we've seen, I would say that there is a solid, there's been a solid 14 to 16 quarters of offensive irrelevance just awful might as well punt on first down like that kind of so if you're telling me that oh he's overwhelmed i'm like well that's possible but i don't know how much worse off you are in that situation because with with sam i honestly think there's a light at the end of the tunnel there and if 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 it's if it's not going to work and he's not the next great starting quarterback at Washington. I think we're better off finding that out early rather than trying to get to average here for another year before he's, he's ready. And I think there's the possibility because the upside is you could actually build some momentum and you could make some of the younger players excited about the direction that the offense is going and what the future might look like. Whereas right now it's great that they won and it's better that they won than that they lost, but no one should be confused by what that game was that what that game was on Friday because that game left skid marks. And I also think if Sam Heward plays and it doesn't go well, you you did not figure out that he's not the guy, right? Uh, like if it no, he's just getting time. He's getting experience, and it, it it raises the question for me. You know, if if we assume, I think like a lot of people do, that a change in offensive coordinator at the end of the season is a foregone conclusion, which I don't see any way that 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 can't be the case. Um. Do you target an offensive coordinator who will install a system around Sam Heward? Do you do you see Sam Heward as the centerpiece of your yes. future, even though he's over the next, you know, over over spring practice and over the summer and over preseason camp, he does still have to go out and win the job and beat out a, a two year incumbent starter. Jimmy doesn't get to wear the run the dang ball hat anymore. And Jimmy doesn't get to this. He has to go hire the smartest offensive guy he can find. He has to, he has to hire offensive, the best offensive guy that they can afford to hire. He needs to go get him. And that's probably going to be offense. And he doesn't have any choice about that. that. That's my opinion. You you have to do that. Who are your most talented players that are coming back next year? Who are your most talented players? It's the two guys we've been talking about a lot, right? Jalen McMillan. Roma Dunze? Yep. Roma Dunze is the best one. You you have to play toward your talent. You you have to play, and they have to throw the ball, and I don't care what kind of offense. Jimmy got his chance to have that kind of Stanford slash Matt Rule, Temple, Baylor kind of offensive approach, and the result is an absolute disaster. He doesn't, he doesn't get to decide. He has to contract out his offense next time. I think that's probably what they're if looking at. To, if he gets to hire the next guy. Yeah, which which I think is legitimately a question. I, I, I'm still not in favor of 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 a change at head coach, though it's with each week. Like I do find myself wondering how hard the team is playing. Like I I, I thought they looked pretty uninterested that first half, um, but 
but that but that's that I, I come away from it feeling like you got one shot to do it your way and and it's it's been a it's been a very colossal failure, especially this year. Like it's and you had the offensive line that should be able to do it. And if if you if if you weren't able to do it this year, what makes you think that you're gonna have the time to build it to do it? Because you're gonna have to win next year no matter what. Yeah. I uh as much as we talk about Jalen McMillan and, and Romo Dunze, and I, I've been as guilty of this as anybody, just kind of like focusing on the the young, promising talent. Um, if, if we're talking positives, I think you got to give a lot of credit to Terrell Bynum and, and to Junior Adams for helping him develop too. But you know, Terrell, Terrell Bynum has become a really reliable player for them, which is what you expect. He's a fifth year guy, um, but I think sometimes, yeah. you know, he he was a four star recruit out of St. John Bosco. Um, people were really excited about him. He redshirted his redshirt freshman year. He didn't play a lot. He, he broke either his finger or his hand, uh, early in his career that kind of set him back. He had an injury last year that, that took him out of the Stanford game. And that I think he had to come back from, um, not, not a guy who necessarily delivered on his recruiting promise right away, but has gradually gotten better, gotten better, gotten better. He finished the 2019 season, uh, playing the best ball of his career. Jacob Eason was looking to him more than he was looking to anybody else. Um, he was somebody who I thought the pandemic season really screwed over. Cause like, obviously he was, he was one of their top guys in, in four games, but it seemed like coming out of 2019, he was really ready to kind of break out. And then for him to not get a full season, I think was just kind of a bummer for him and, and for the offense. Um, but I, you know, he he bailed them out as much as anybody in this game. He he gets open. He beats man coverage to catch uh, two precisely fifty-one yard passes, which he may, might have to go back and look up whether anyone's ever done that. Catch two balls of exactly fifty-one yards. Kind of a a fun little statistical oddity. Um, he he goes. He wins a a one on one uh, a one on one ball for a, what was essentially a jump ball in the end zone to to get them on the board and score a touchdown. He had. I mean, he had kind of one of the underrated plays from that game where it, it's third and 10 and Morris has him open and he kind of has to reach down and, and catch a, a, you know, maybe on second glance, a lot harder of a ball than it might've appeared, you know, reach down for a ball around his knees that turns into like a 28 yard gain. And they, well, that was a huge play. So um, they absolutely need to find ways to get the ball to McMillan and Odunze anymore. There's no question about that, but um, Terrell Bynum also is he he's emerged as like, the guy for them he's he's playing like a senior he's he's playing like a guy who's been around in the program um and it's yeah i think it's it's gratifying in a way to to see somebody who's kind of had to work for it and was a big recruit but you know he kind of didn't have it didn't have success right out of the gate and um now you're sort of seeing the kind of player that they thought he was going to be it's awesome to see like it, it is really cool, and usually those are the kind of stories that explain and kind of make a season. And this year, he's sort of saving respectability, right? Like he's saving face. But you're right; he is. He wins that game. That's they, 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 they beat Arizona because of the efforts that he's made, and he's been one of the only bright spots on this team. And that also, in my mind, underscores some of the difficulty with their offense is that he's had to pull their butt out of the fire. And it does come down to, in my my opinion, you can tell me if I'm wrong about this. And because I'm looking at it from the outside, like I'm I'm I, I, I'm a fan. 
when it comes to, to Washington football. But my sense was what Jimmy wanted was in many ways what Pete Carroll has implemented with the Seahawks, which was a physical run game and the ability to throw deep. Like he wanted, he wanted guys, and if it wasn't throwing deep, it was getting receivers who were explosive, big play kind of guys. Yes. And and the reason for the turnover at receiver this year, in large part, was believing like we we need better athletes out there. So we're not going to sweat it if if some of the guys that we've had here decide that okay, the writing's on the wall, and we're going because we're going to get some better playmakers in here. And I think Terrell Bynum to his credit, has been someone that has held up his end of the bargain. And Roma Dunze, when he's gotten opportunities, and especially in that first half against UCLA, where I felt like for the first time you really saw what what he looks like running after the catch, which I I was blown away by that part. Because um, I think I think he's really physical. You, you saw that, and it underscores that when you do that, you have to have the running game. Like if you're not going to throw, if you're not going to be a volume passing team, if you're not going to, because if you're going to wait on sort of either deeper developing pattern, you have to have the run game. And they and they just haven't had the run game. And that that inadequacy is, it condemns a number of different parts because it talks about the ability of the offensive line. I don't think this is a running back issue. I think it's I think it's the I, I I think it's the scheme and I think it's I think it's the offensive line and how they've their inability to to consistently de- develop holes and that that is what has sunk their offense more than anything else and whatever comes next in my mind needs to be a drastic departure from from what they're doing now because you have to get more opportunities to your best players and the problem this year is that their best players have not gotten sufficient opportunities because they've been so insistent on trying to run a ball, run the ball, and and having guys average two point eight and three point two yards per carry for games. Thirty eight carries, eighty eight yards against Arizona. Oh God. God. There's some, uh, excuse me. There's some sack yardage in there. So. Uh, yeah, but so sack adjust just just in the in the interest oh, sa- their sack adjusted rushing yardage. Danny was a, a whopping three point four yards per carry. So let's not let's not sell them brutal, too man, short. Just brutal. I mean that is that is that is like a bottom half of the Mac kind of team where you're just like yeah they can't do anything. And the difference with Washington is they still keep trying to run it. They're like well we're eventually going to get it. Like, smash, smash. How many times you got to smash your head against the wall before you figure? Like no, just throw it, just throw it, just throw it. And, and if you need a different guy to throw it, have him throw it. Maybe unplug Donovan's headset. Like maybe and just and just have somebody else doing it. So he can keep talking and he'll talk to nobody and they'll run something else. What's funny to me is um, aside from they just need to execute better, one of the reasons that you hear from, from coaches for why they've struggled to run the ball is because, well, opponents stack the box against them and it you know, it, it kind of leads to what they've talked about, needing to throw the ball to open up running lanes and stuff. I I get a kick out of that because stopping the run is the second, the thing that they're next worst at. And so it's yep. just kind of like, so opponents can entirely shut down your running game by stacking the box. Why can't you do that? And yep. w- w- and it, it leads yeah. it leads into well some of some of it's because they've got they've got some they've got some beanpole safeties who I think are would would ha- would have a heart. But you're right. 
you're right. Yeah. Why, why can't you bring an eighth or a ninth defender and that's, up into the box? That's going to be even harder now with Edifuan Ulofoshio out for the season um, with, with an arm injury. I, I think if you'd said before the year that seven games into the season they're going to lose Edifuan Ulofoshio, I think you'd have said, what a man, that's... That is a critical loss at a, a position they're really thin at, mm-hmm. and it's definitely not good now. The fact that they're three and four and have struggled so much against the run doesn't like doesn't help. Um, but I do think that there is at least some sense of like, you know, that's a that's a loss. Nobody thinks it's going to make them better, certainly. But people have been really excited about Daniel Hamuli for a couple years. I think that Carson Bruner has been one of those guys who was not a high-profile recruit, but if you watched his tape and like really followed recruiting and stuff, he was somebody who you thought had a lot of potential to, to be a contributor sooner rather than later. He played a ton against Arizona. He actually played a lot more than Haimuli did. Um, so you know, I think th- you're going to see a ton of those two guys, plus MJ Tafisi at the linebacker spot next to Jackson Sermon. I do think with this kind of being deemed a lost season by a lot of people that um, it's too bad. Certainly it comes at the expense of, of losing Eula Foscio to an injury. But I do think that there are some people who are, you know, at least, at least interested, if not looking forward to seeing what Haimuli and, and Carson Bruner can do. I, I'm excited about that. It's, it's kind of similar to what we were talking about, right? Where I was like, how much worse could it get? Yeah. Losing Eula Foscio stinks. It's not like their run defense was good. So maybe this creates some opportunities to get different guys playing, or maybe it makes some schematic adjustments that you've got to compensate for him there. I I am extraordinarily revolutionary. Like, there are two things. If somebody, if somehow I was given sway, like if you gave me three wishes that I could, I, I, I could pass over a team's game planning and just their like not not the plays that they would call, but just like two things to implement. The first would be to give have a Madden expert in the booth to manage the clock. Like that's yes, and I don't, I yes. don't care who, but that guy all he does is end of and and end of game like he just manages it based. And I don't want him to have any qualifications other than he's played Madden sixteen hours a day for the previous five years. I my like that's the, and because that's all that game game is is simulating those things and those guys know it off the top of their head a couple of my friends and i joke well it's not really a joke but uh talk about this and we're we're getting to that point i'm i'm 34 years old madden you know there there are people a little bit older than me who grew up playing madden as kids and you know i came up with the game so we're we're to the point now where not every head coach but at least some head coaches we're in the Madden generation. And we've always talked about how like once we get to the point where every head coach in college football grew up playing Madden, clock management is going to be so much better because it's, that's the one part of the game, like anything else, people who, you know, people who pretend like, Oh yeah, I, I had this great dynamic offense. And like, yeah, it's easy to like roll your eyes and like that dude, it's, it's a video game. The one thing that absolutely translates to real life is clock management. Cause it's math. They're numbers. They don't change. Yes. Math is math. 100%. You know 100%. that if the opponent's got 100%. no timeouts and you get yes. to two minutes or less, kneel down, kneel down, kneel down, boom, it's over. Or, hey, we're at 207 and the you opponent's exactly how out of that. timeouts. You can, you know, yep. run it off, whatever. So, yeah, they, yeah slight slight little uh, a little sidetrack there. But, no, I, I, I completely agree on the Madden thing. Second thing I would do is when the quarterback comes to the line of scrimmage, I am going to have him count the defenders in the box one 
two, three, four, five, six, seven. If he gets to eight, and there is an eighth defender in the box, he will know to automatically pass. There will be no running against eight-man boxes. We will be a box-counting team. And if there are seven or six defenders in the box, perhaps there will be a run. But if there are eight defenders in the box, in no circumstances will we run into stacked boxes. This, this I, I actually feel stronger about in the NFL than, than in, in college. Because I think in college you can have such a physical mismatch and disparity between teams that if you're a really good team, you can still run it even no matter how many guys they put in there. But stop running into stacked boxes. It's criminal. And, and, and what Washington did against Arizona was the epitome of like, we're just going to keep do, running it and running it and running it. And you're like, dude, there's nothing that is shown. You're just, you're believing that, that they're going to punch themselves out of the game. And that's not how it works. Um, so those would be the two things I'd figure out what the third one was. It might be John Donovan specific, but those would be the two clock, clock management by Madden. And, and, and the second thing would be box counting, count the defenders. That's all you do. Just count how many guys are in the box. When you got to eight, I thought you were going to say that's when you know to grit your teeth and run power. <laughs> no, that's it's just so dumb. Inside zone? Um, yeah, no. Out, nope, outside no, zone? No, I, I don't want you. You know what? You know what also? Pullback trap. I, I, don't, I don't want you to try and fly sweep there either. I'm like, oh, you know what? We're going to run it to the outside. If there are eight dudes in the box, throw the ball. If there are eight dudes in the box, throw the ball every single time. Are they going to give the ball to Taj right. Davis on one of those fly sweeps at some point? Or <laughs> I, I hope so. I, you have to keep them honest at some point, don't you? You uh, think? I have a question for you, and this is this is going to be. You'll know exactly where it's coming from. But I've waited. I've, I've been waiting to ask you this. Um, I'm not going to use names. This is very deliberate because I don't want this to be about the specific instances. In general, how do we deal? Or how do you deal with parents of players making broad sweeping observations, condemnations, um, statements of opinion regarding the team or coaching staff? What is the appropriate way? Because I sat there and I, I think it's an actually an, an honest and an important conversation. Because I can see the defense on the one hand of like, it's an incredibly important person involved in the that that information is not coming from nowhere and it doesn't it, it it potentially has bearing on the future and what's happening on the other hand it's a parent and this is and there he the parent doesn't control what the what what the player's going to do and the player's opinion about that is the only thing that matters and that it can seem by like talking about what the parent has said that you're sort of implying that that's what the the player thinks as well, which isn't exactly fair. What's the best way? To, how do you handle that? I have I've noted a couple of times to to ask Jimmy Lake about this directly. And I one of these days I need to just go ahead and do it. Um, but it's kind of got lost in the shuffle. It, it's hard because I mean, I think what you just said about the assumption a lot of times is that that's also what the player thinks that it's just a reflection of what the player thinks can definitely be um incorrect so i always it's totally unfair yeah too, it right? is it, it is so the first i always think of the player first i think man yeah i i wonder i wonder what he thinks of this i think more often than not um the player would probably 
prefer that 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 not happen but you don't want to make that assumption right. either because it it could it could be a reflection of conversations they've had or frustrations that have been vented if you're the head coach you know i i think it's worth having a conversation and this is you know this is part of why it's it's helpful to have relationships that you tend to with players families because i think if if they feel like they have that sort of access to you to you and and that you know the coach's relationship isn't just with the player but it's with their parents and you know that was obviously something chris peterson was like elite at and and people talked about a lot especially in the recruiting process that you know he he recruited the whole family he wanted to get to know your whole family you felt like when your son committed there that that you know you you really knew him um jimmy lake is 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 new relatively still i i don't know what what his reputation or what his process is around those sort of things. But I think it's, it's worth having a conversation that is not, um, you know, an, an agitated one that is just very simple. Hey, I, I saw what you said. I understand you're frustrated. We're all frustrated. Um, this is an emotional game. And, and I, you know, I, I know that, that things like that are, it's, 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 it's the time that we live in that, you know, people are, are used to, airing their thoughts on social media. But, you know, I, as the head coach, I would just make clear that no matter how you feel about me or the program, um, that, that doesn't help. And, you know, it could be that like, if, if you're a parent and you just really feel like, Hey, this coaching staff isn't getting it done. And the only way that, that that message is going to get across to the people who make decisions is for me to, to make my feelings known. Um, you know, I don't necessarily fault somebody for that, but, I think it, it, the question is, how do you handle it as a head coach? I, I think there needs to be a a calm, rational, reasonable conversation once emotions have have died down, and you, know, you can kind of impart, "Hey, here's I, I I'm you know I, I understand where you're coming from, but here's where I'm coming from, and and here's why I think this isn't the best thing for the program." That is a very thoughtful and considered answer. How do we handle this, media members? And maybe even that's more toward you, since I'm just an idiot fan who screams about things. It's yeah, hard. it is. I I struggle with um, it's out there and it's public, and right. you know they've. I know as a journalist, when I choose to tweet something or make something public, I've considered it. I I live with it in my DNA that when I click send it's out there and I vouch for it. And no matter what the blowback or the reaction is, I own it. And I understood the stakes and the consequences when I click tweet. Right. Everybody. We, we can apologize for it or we can, or we can, we can sort of say I, I screwed up or you can say, no, that that is how I actually feel. But we understand the stakes. Everybody should understand that. But when you don't live in the world that we live in, it's, it's easier to right. Just put it out there. I'm pissed off. I'm typing this tweet. I think if if you were to yep. to ask um, a parent who might tweet something you know negative toward the coaching staff or whatever during a game, hey, once you tweet this, um, are you okay with this person and this person and this person sharing it and with it becoming a talking point and with thousands of people knowing about it within ten minutes? If they if it were put to a parent in those terms, 
it's it's entirely possible they'd say yeah i don't care i understand it's it's public of course i know that that could happen uh, 99% would say like no I, yeah but i do yeah i do 99% are saying i don't want that though. so yeah i th- that, that's where I, like as a journalist when i that's what i think about that like if okay if i were to if i were to ask uh-huh. this person hey do you, you want me to go ahead and share this to everybody like they might pull back and like so i i don't think you know that i believe also believe in personal responsibility like i wouldn't feel like that's on me if I shared it and they regret, you know, the, the reaction to me sharing it caused them to regret saying it. But I, that is just the thought that goes through my head. Um, and I also think like people are going to see it anyway, you know? Um, so that's, that part's definitely true of like, once it's out, that's going to be passed around and it kind of becomes currency of its own. But it, it was something that occurred to me the other day because I've generally, my perspective on college sports and this comes from from someone who most of my background is covering pro sports and it's the only thing i've I, i've covered high school sports and then i've covered pro sports as a, as a newspaper beat reporter that you don't have to deal with because there's this layer of they're incredibly important but they're also not the primary subject right like a, a parent a parent's words and as a college student they mean more and you can look at it as oh that's an insight into something that Perhaps that player doesn't feel comfortable or confident saying because they're, I mean, they're adults, but college is this weird sort of world between their amateurs, right? They're adults, but they're amateurs. And then at the same time, you're also like, man, it's a, I, I guess, I guess the closest thing, because I remember when, when Jamal Crawford was at the University of Michigan, uh, there was a huge, um, there was a huge question about his eligibility, and I'd ended up, I probably wasted a month and a half of my life, like following that story around, and and I remember when he he officially had his the eligibility for the remainder of his freshman year was decided, like he wasn't going to play again that year. His mom came to the newspaper and gave us a note saying Jamal has decided he's going to enter the NBA draft, and and then that question of okay, well, what the hell do you do with that? Because it's not Jamal. And when I talked to Jamal, it was like, it's, it's my mom doesn't speak for me. Like, I'm a grown man. Like, I make my own decision. Right. But, like, it's a family member. It's such a, it's a, but you're right. The best way to do it is to to, to try and layer it through. Like, is that something that the, that that the, do, do you think it reflects something of what the player feels? And is, is, is the parent comfortable with that being sort of entered into the public dialogue as opposed to it just being a momentary release of steam? It's also, it's a factor too that we, um, after a game, I, I cannot just walk up to player X in the locker room and yeah. say, what do you, you know, what do you yeah, think you about this? you can't ask him. You know, yeah. we, we have, you, you, you don't, yeah. We have such little relationship with these guys. So, uh, you know, oftentimes, you know, a, a player share or excuse, a, a parent sharing their thoughts on social media is kind of like the closest thing we're going to get to some degree of personal insight. So, uh, that is another way to look at it. I just I always think of like what's what's fair to to the player, you know what's yeah. what's fair to the player. Um, and it's you know there there's been instances in recent years of a there was a, a former player whose whose parent was on a a message board, you know, talking about how he was going to transfer and another player was going to transfer and. A couple of years went by. It eventually did happen, but it was. And I, I every time I would just think, man, I want. I wonder what the kid thinks about that. He he cannot. He he cannot love that. You know, at, at the very least, you know, yeah. the, the best case scenario is he's indifferent toward it. You know, 
and oh, that's just right. that's you know that's that's my dad. This is how he is. Oh, you know what? I don't I don't worry about it. But I just thought, man, I I, I wonder what he thinks about that. So there, yeah, there's there's a lot of layers to it. Um, I you know I think you need to be empathetic to everybody involved. There's it's like I said, it's an emotional game, and um, we live in an era where people can make themselves hurt and 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 voice their opinion in a way that that they couldn't before, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but um, it, you know it does it does kind of lead to some some situations that can get a little bit messy. So, um, yeah, I, more than anything, you know, you, if you're trying to take the temperature of the program and, and capture public sentiment about the way things are going, you know, those sort of things aren't, aren't said and aren't thought and aren't tweeted about teams that are like seven and zero and ranked in the top 10, you know? So, um, <laughs> it is, although I will, you know, Ohio, Ohio state had an instance, <laughs> An instance this yeah, year of a, a player quitting, quitting during a game and then <laughs> tweeting "f Ohio State" afterwards. So <laughs> Dude, that that part was, I was like, I was like, way to go out with a bang. Like, was he? I think he, I think he gave out his gloves too. Like, handed his gloves to someone in the crowd. That's charitable. Yeah, yeah, that was that was something else. Heck yeah. Um, so it w- we'll uh, we'll go ahead and and reveal here of our for the second time in two weeks we have a a new name for the podcast um and w- without getting into it too much uh there there's a another podcast um run by the the folks at, at uwdogpound.com the SB Nation's uh SB Nation fan site covering University of Washington uh that plays off of the the famed 1990 uh Todd Marinovich all i saw was was purple game um it was was brought to our attention that that you know maybe the the interpretation could be ours. Our name was a little bit close to theirs and, and had some discussion and, um, you know, we, Danny and I both kind of felt that, uh, the, the right thing to do would, would be to just go ahead and pick a different name to, to avoid confusion and, and, uh, you know, just to, to avoid any, any, any sort of dispute there, you know, certainly we don't want to step We're on anybody's toes. Family, right. We're all part of the Husky family. Their podcast is all we hear is purple. Our podcast had, had been called for one episode. Uh, all I saw was podcast. I think we could have lived and coexisted totally fine, and it wasn't an attempt on our part to lift anything. It was suggested from a reader. But, look, we're all family as Husky fans, and there's no reason in the world why we can't come up with something that does not come close to the same inspiration or come from the same vein of thought. So we we will in in a spirit of harmony and goodwill, and those guys couldn't have been nicer um, about about pointing it out. And we're gonna we're we're gonna we're gonna change we're gonna make a change of direction to show that there's room for all of us here. So going forward, and who knows? Look, we might pick a new name next week, Danny. Like we're gonna like we'll we'll test this one out. Um, could be. Maybe that's our thing. It could It'll be we finally found bottom. Yeah. <laughs> we finally found bottom. Maybe we'll pick a new name every week, and that'll just kind of be our shtick. They're going to make it difficult on iTunes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, jokes aside. Good luck finding it, suckers. Going forward, uh, this will be Say Who, Say Pod, hosted by myself and Danny O'Neill. It's, it's a playoff. Um, you know, many of you are, are probably familiar. Some might not be familiar, but the, the say who, say what chant that the team has done before the game since the mid 1970s, Antoine Richardson created it. Somebody wrote a very long story about it for the athletic uh, a couple months ago, just to, to, to plug my work there. But, um, it, it's, it's, uh, all say who say, say pod some bad, something, something. 
do we do do we get that part of it? Or is it just say who say pot? Uh, the rest is implied. Yes, that that the, these are <laughs> these are these are some bad mofos hosting this pot. <laughs> I like that. The rest is implied. <laughs> uh, so you know, it, and it kind of depends on how the episode goes, right? If it's really good. Like people might be like, man, those are some those are some bad mofos on that podcast. If it's if the pod yeah. if the episode just sucks, it's like God, those are some bad mofos hosting that podcast. So I could probably just yeah. say the swear yeah. word. I wrote it three times in the story. I could probably just say it, but what you know, whatever. You might it, might be might have kids in the car, basically, whatever. Is that? So I, I like the athletic a great deal. I want to make that very clear. Um, have been a huge fan and been a subscriber from the beginning. What does it feel like to write the F word? It feels good. It feels does really it? it feels really good. It feels a little weird. Um Yeah. But I like I've always felt and I like I totally get why your average daily you know, your Metro Daily is not gonna have the F word in print or swear words in print. Like I get it. I've always been of the mind that like there are twenty six letters in the alphabet. These these words just happen to be arranged in a way that like we've decided isn't okay yeah i think there are there are just to me the f word um and you know just just that handful of words that you can't say on on tv but that people use in everyday language it's like people say these words it's how people talk you know it's how they talk and especially talk. especially in a, right. such a, a violent passionate sport like football like yeah man the, the players swear and they've got this chant that that they've done for years that has a cuss word in it and that's just that's reality. That's how they're human beings. That's how people talk. Like those are the words people use sometimes. So I, I think it's a little bit silly how often media censors itself. I like that we don't, but like, I think if you, you'll see that, you know, I'm not and, and writers at the athletic aren't just like throwing in the F word to use it. It's pretty much always going to well, be except in, for Jenks in a well, Yeah. But like that's Jenks, for Jenks. It's just gratuitous. That's his I think thing. He does it to rub. I, I think he does it to rub all of our noses in it where he's like, look what I can write. Yeah, I think there's an element of that. And you know what? It, hey, it, I, he can have it, you know? I think it, that's fair enough. You, you, like, a pervert. What's the point? What's the point of being able to write cuss words if you're not going to? So <laughs> I, I think for the... For the say who? Say pod? We're, we're, some, we're some bad something something. Yeah. So... Um, I can't do it. I can't say it. What's, what's going what's gonna to happen on the farm on Saturday, Danny? I told you. We're going to get put in a locker and wailed on. Nerds are going to go to town. It's it's going to be a, a final score of thirty four to seventeen. It's going to be awful. So you think Stanford's going to score on every possession then to score thirty four? Yeah, points. pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's nothing that's led me to believe that this Washington team is going to be capable of in a second straight week playing on the road. Yeah, yeah. I think they're gonna. I I I, I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna. They're gonna take our 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 two bit defense and make change. Uh Somehow Stanford only a two point favorite in this game. Ve- Vegas, I was telling someone the other day, Vegas is giving Washington like the USC treatment, where it's like, but they're yeah, so, but that? they're so talented. It's good, like, yeah, they're, they're not. It's gonna happen. It's gonna happen eventually. Like, yeah, no. Stanford by two. Uh, yeah, put put your money on Stanford if you're betting this one. I uh, I like the Cardinal something like thirty one to twenty. Um, okay, so you give it a, it's a little more respectable. Yeah, it'll but at least it, be a conversation. But it'll be one of those Stanford games where like. If you just see the score scroll across, you're like, oh, it sounded like a pretty good game. But if you watch it, it Stanford just controlled it the whole time, you know? <laughs> yeah, just put them in a headlock and just start wailing on the top of their head. Nolan Ryan versus Robin Ventura style. 
<laughs> Don't mess with Texas. <laughs> that is that. That's the best fight ever. Like of all the different sports fights, and I love sports fights. I, I don't know if there'll ever be anything cooler than this young whippersnapper going out there and getting put into a headlock by the big hoss, who then just delivers a series of roundhouse rights to the top of his head. I saw someone the other day say that, like, it's too bad that Robin Ventura caught so much crap for that because, like, he he had to charge the mound or something because yes, of the unwritten rules or whatever. Well, he, I mean, that Nolan Ryan plunked him. Like there was no doubt about what was happening, and so honor. And he was like, "I'm young. This guy's old." And <laughs> he just found, he got he got hit with some grown man strength. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> Nolan took his Advil that day. I'll tell you that. Yeah, was it Advil? A leave? Yeah, I think it was Advil. Okay, so I, I was going to mention the Advil. I think it was Advil. Yeah, I, it, at some, I I always wonder what when was the moment like for Robin Venturi where he was like, "Oh, this was a terrible." <laughs> like, is it? Is it is it when before Nolan Ryan made contact? Is it only when he was firmly in the headlock and realized he couldn't escape? Like when was the dawning where it was like, oh, this this went terribly. This was a terrible idea. It might have been like as soon as he got close enough to see his eyes. I would imagine he knew exactly. Or, or it could have been really like where he's already is like. And at that point, I would be like, maybe you should just turn around. <laughs> like if you if I I know it's gonna <laughs> that would bad, but. It's better, at least you wouldn't take the whooping, right? Like, it's better to have your pride destroyed and people to, like, assume that you're a fraidy cat other than to see you just get walloped. Like, that would have been the better overall exchange. My dad had this T-shirt growing up that had that photo of it, a photo of, of, of Ventura in the headlock. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, the new the, they make t-shirts out of like newspaper front pages and stuff yeah, it was yeah. it was it was that type of shirt and it said don't mess with texas across the top um <laughs> That's a good one i i wonder if it would have been a better shirt if the image had been robin ventura's back sprinting away from nolan ryan back toward that back toward been. home plate and ryan chasing him that might like the, what would be a worse viral moment for robin ventura <laughs> dude it's getting whooped I, running away, running away, like at least there's some comedy element to it. Like getting whooped, there's nothing funny about that. I was going to say, you know how to make his t-shirt better is to sprinkle drops of red all over it yeah. as if Robin <laughs> Ventura's blood that was dripping down the front. It might have had some. I think it was one of those he, <laughs> it was one of those he wore in the shop. Um, he's, but he's a big uh, woodworking hobbyist, so might, you might, have, might have, you know, over the years had some, uh, some perspiration. and, and uh, Does he you know. still have all his digits? He does. I think the, not lo- not- the closest he's ever come to a woodworking accident was, so there, there's no heat in the garage, uh, which was a good thing on this day. So he, he wears multiple layers when he's out there in the winter. He caught a splinter off of a, one of his power saws that went through his jacket, his sweatshirt, his flannel shirt, and an undershirt, and nicked him, nicked his skin a little bit. Um, and it, oh, so, no kidding. Ex- oh. extremely minor just a you know band-aid type of situation but like just if, a flesh wound. if it had been the summer and he's just wearing a t-shirt like you know that could have that could have been yeah. a problem so i think that's the that's the closest he's ever come to like a serious accident but yeah he's he's still still got all the digits so um that's that's good news there we'll uh we'll go ahead and wrap up episode three here of of say who say pod um sorry it's a day late I'm actually not that sorry. I don't know why don't I apologize. Yeah, I, you we're know, not char- we're not charging them for anything. That's true. Be grateful for what you're getting, you jackals. 
We'll see you all next week.